Yes, hello everyone. Welcome back to the None But the Brave podcast. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, my partner in crime is with me, Mr. Flynn McLean. How you doing? It's been a hell of a hell of a couple of weeks here, hasn't it? Well, Which exciting we... last night to actually see some live music <laughs> on the TV. Well, live music that we that is emotionally important to to us. That's for sure. I mean, Shire Live has been filming, but uh, they didn't have Bruce and the E Street Band on until last night. So no, that is true. And and a lot of people <laughs> wondered if they were going to make an appearance with Letter to You. Of course, with the circumstances that we're living in, there's health issues, there's safety issues. Obviously, they worked it out. And and I can say I know some people were saying online they were concerned that Bruce maybe had put himself into a little bit of risk. The protocols at these shows are pretty extreme. I, I, I've read them. I've been in discussions about them. I, I feel very confident that they were very, very safe. And, and Patty posted on Instagram saying that she felt the same. Yeah, it's. Uh, I have all the faith in the world that all the precautions were were, were taken were taken seriously. Uh, that the only time they were were without a mask is when they were actually on stage performing. And, th- and I think that it, that goes for all of the other actors on. Oh on the show yes, as well. that that's the rules of the set. Yes. Okay. So I, and all I mean when you when they showed the cameraman and the other crew, they all were masked up. So, um, and I'm sh- and I know they were tested. You know, probably at least once a day, right? I believe so, so. Yes. So yeah, and I guess Gary made a decision not to go, and it's it's all up to personal choice. Yeah, there are protocols in place. Some people are going to feel comfortable with them. Some are not. That's totally fair. We have dealt with this as well. I mean, there are some actors willing to work, and and other actors don't want to take the chance. And <laughs> if you've got any preconditions or anything it's totally understandable but they did do it and they had a ball doing it it looked like i, I looked certainly like fun, yeah. i had it when ghost started i had it turned up they must have heard my tv in nevada i had the sound <laughs> system turned up really loud and it was great i mean it was a little rough they haven't performed together in four <laughs> years but just seeing them the emotional high of having that was 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 tremendous and it, it was i think what a lot of people needed this weekend and whatever little foibles they had during the song it, it doesn't matter i mean they were there <laughs> they were performing and it was it was damn good to see it it was uh it was it wasn't smooth it wasn't the most sharp of most sharp of performances that we've ever seen but they did what they had to do they did what they needed they did what they wanted to do which was which was play music in front of a crowd uh, you know, even this, even the small uh, in-studio crowd for Siren Live is is a live crowd nonetheless, and yeah, they looked uh, like they were having fun, and you know, everything else is overlooked because of that. <laughs> oh yeah, you put that all aside. I mean, this is it, it, it was it was a great moment, and and sure, they weren't at their all-time best. I'm sure Bruce would be the first to admit that. He did have a smile on his face during the middle of Ghost. I'm not sure exactly what happened there. It looked like coming out of that fill that Max did, someone jumped the gun or something. I don't don't know. But uh, Bruce had a smile on his face. He knew it was a little ragtag, and he went with it. And 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 it was it was great to see. I mean, I watched it twice in a row. The minute it ended, I was like, I'm I'm going back on the DVR watching it again. And and then the second song was Note Perfect. I mean, it, just for the circumstances we've discussed before with the song, and uh, it was. I think they delivered a beautiful performance. It it was for for a lot of a lot of different reasons. But I want to go back to to Ghost first before we, before we go on to the second song, and I was surprised by the start of the song. 
I've, I've always expected it to start with a bunch of drums and in concert, he's probably going to extend it a bit, but this time there was, or for this performance, there was none of that. It was just straight into, I hear the sound of your guitar and it was just boom. And actually I gotta admit, I was, I was kind of, kind of shocked there for a second that it wasn't what I had been listening to on the album for the last uh, couple of months. I'm sure it was a timing issue in, in terms of there's a limited amount of space on that show. Now, I mean, one could say that perhaps they should have cut a couple of those skits, uh, both <laughs> to give Bruce more time and just editorially. But I am a fan of Saturday Night Live. But last night, they also may not have been at their sharpest. Let's let's leave it at that. Uh, actually, you know, it's pretty funny because I I actually thought most of that was pretty good. I had some good some good laughs here, even though even though Miss Claudine had none. <laughs> So maybe my, my humor is just too immature for Well, we do know you're you an guys. easy mark. I, I am. I, I have a friend who always tells me that if he could have a whole audience of, of me, he would be the most successful stand-up comedian. So, yes, that is true. Well, the second song, as I said, I'll See You in My Dreams, was was really, it's perfect. And, and Patty did a great job on that song. Uh, what did you think of it? Uh, I thought it was very powerful, and especially... Patty, Patty did a good job, as you said, and I and I and Charlie, his his organ fills on that one were they were they were amazing. I, you know, they really stood out more than they do on the record. And it's it did seem to me like Charlie was not on stage for the first song, and so I guess he and Jake traded off. Yeah, I don't know. Again, that may have been a COVID issue, but he did do a great job there, Charlie, and just really a very special song. And, and you can see, hopefully, when we can get into arenas and, and the band can play some shows. I mean, this is going to be special material to see. Obviously, they're going to have ghosts, I think, a lot tighter than they did last night. And yes. uh, it, just, uh, you, it just makes you sit there and think, man, I, I just can't wait for that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah. Bruce clearly can't wait for it. And, and just think how excited he's going to be that first show when he steps out on the stage, it's oh, going to be great. No, that first show is going to be emotional for, for a lot of reasons and for a lot of people. So yeah. it's, uh, you know, I'm trying not to look forward to it too much yet, considering it's probably, you know, at least 15 months away, but, uh, but yeah, it's going to be a very special night. We should make a pact that we're going to be at that first show. <laughs> yes, that I will move heaven and earth and spend everything I got in my 401k to be there. <laughs> All right. Well, there I'll, was I actually don't know what kind of what kind of say Claudine has in that, but we'll talk later. Well, we'll have to see on the planet where it is. But <laughs> there was another performance this week, which took place on the roof of Electric Lady Studios. And I got to say, Bruce with Bleachers again, it was a song. I really like the studio version. I like this live version even better. And Bruce really looks and sounds great in this video. Well, it's kind of a stretch to call it a performance. I guess they are all sitting there together playing the song. But I usually consider a performance to be in front of an audience. Uh, but of course, in the days of COVID, that's not happening. But yeah, uh, there's a lot more Bruce in this version. And so and, and so, not so surprisingly, I, I like it more. <laughs> Okay. Well, I have to point out the history of rooftop performances in rock and roll is pretty extensive. So, and I, they generally don't have audiences. Sometimes they form on the street down below, as we saw in the famous YouTube where the streets have no name video, but I, I count it as a performance. Well, I guess if that little uh, quartet from Liverpool can call their uh, rooftop playing a performance, well, I guess, I guess <laughs> the bleachers with Bruce can do the same. It's just, it's such a great pleasure to have something new like this. And and because he does sound so good, 
I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I listened to it like three times in a row when it came out. <laughs> well, I, I, I did the same. and But I only made it through the video uh, only once or twice today. Um, I did enjoy it more, as I said, but uh, felt like the ambiance of the video, of the original video, did the song more justice. And Perhaps. I, I, also, I also definitely hear how the song is very Bruce-esque in the lyrical contents about taking the girl and taking her away and away from this town and so yeah, that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much Bruce's 1970s uh, lyrical themes right there. It's just really good that he's out doing stuff. And between this and SNL, it was a good week. And <laughs> and we also making it also a good week, I should say, the archive release. I mean, we got to talk about that one because this was. <laughs> This was about as big as it gets from the archive series. I know we keep sort of saying that, but they just they they really did top themselves with this one with the Hammersmith, the second show from 1975. Now, I don't keep up as much on what's in the vault as as you do. Is this something we knew that they had? I I I don't know to be honest. I wasn't because they released the other Hammersmith as part of the box set back in 2005, I had never really considered this one to be a possibility just because it was so close to it. But obviously the the show, the performance itself is just light years ahead of that one. I mean, for for years, the narrative was that the first show in London in 75, you know, Bruce said, Bruce said he sucked, you know, it, and that came from him and it came from Dave Marsh's book. And then when they released the box and, and the show on, video, on film, it was like, Okay, this wasn't that bad. And yeah, it was pretty damn good. But then this show a week later was just, it's just, I mean, it's 10 times better at minimum. He just, they're on and, and you can hear the fun in, in his voice. The way I, way I hear it is that he got through the main set and he knew he nailed it. So he felt this relaxed, he felt relaxed and he felt a high from knowing that he nailed it. And that's why you got such an extended encore with so many of these uh, just inspired covers. It, it's just an amazing, amazing run of covers there at the end. The whole show is great and really unique listening to it. Now, I know there is a there's a two track that's been out for a while, right? Uh, a bootleg. Yes. Uh, Shit Hot and Rocking, I believe, was the, the CD title, the CD bootleg title. I don't recall listening to that very much. And this is such a legendary show. I probably should have. This is a show that in the annals of his performing, I think is is right up there. It's it's not the bottom line. The bottom line is definitely more famous. But this show had quite its own impact, especially in Europe. Uh, Peter Gabriel, I know, called <laughs> this show the second greatest rock concert he's ever seen, except for Otis Redding. And I think Bruce is OK being number number two to that guy. Yeah. <laughs> But just the version of Lost in the Flood early in the show here, to me, really sets a tone. The Danny's organ intro seems to be radically extended. And just the power of the song, it just sort of attacks you and and really just sort of surprised me because I haven't listened to this show certainly much in recent years. And it lives up to the hype. And the mix is great. <laughs> It's interesting you use that word hype, Hal. I know. Because well. <laughs> that was the reason that, I mean, he basically, he was overwhelmed by it on, on the first night. And and he came back with with a vengeance on this show. And, and while you, you point out Lost in the Flood, I, I'm going to go to, to Thunder Road. And for you, the, the solo piano numbers are nearly a solo piano. And the 
his voice, the inflections is just, you feel the emotion. I mean, obviously, <laughs> a lot of times in 75, you felt that emotion, but here it just comes out a little bit more. Maybe it's because the mix is so great, as you said, but you just, it really gets you in the, gets you in the feels to use what the kids say. Very, very passionate delivery of those songs. They're for you in particular. I love how that's followed up with When You Walk in the Room. And and as you said, the entire run of covers there at the end, five straight covers to end the show after for you, sort of each one, one-upping the other. And and <laughs> I, I don't think there's any other show. Well, the bottom line was two sets per night, so you weren't going to get this length of a show but prior to 1980, is there any encore that went on this long? Ooh, I don't think so. I mean, unless you count some of those Detroit medleys in 78 that went, that went 10, 15 minutes or quarter of the threes that went that long. Right, but, but Rosalita uh, was the final song of the main set here, right? <laughs> yeah, as always, from 75 to 84. Uh, there's there's nine songs in the encore that certainly <laughs> I, I think you have to get we'd have to go back and check obviously I think by 88 there were certainly some encores with nine songs but it was not that normal I mean the darkness tour yeah. as we know had maybe like three four five encores generally yeah in, in, in terms of the sheer number of songs I believe this would be this would have to be the longest encore that he had done I mean until 84 I did but then how do you differentiate the Detroit medley and, and twist and shout? Do you love me late, later on? It's like those, those are one song, but they can last 10, 15 minutes. Well, that is true, but <laughs> this is just an epic set of encores. And it, yes, totally is. It was definitely out of character for him at that point uh, of the tour and, and his career. I wonder if we looked into it, except for like a special show, say like in one of the clubs or something, of course, if he's ever done five straight covers at any other E Street Band show. Hmm, that would be interesting. Um, we may have to check that out. Yes, we will. At E Street. Yeah, unless it's something from... No, I can't think of anything. I'm trying to, like the River Tour and the Encores, but... Well, I don't think medley, I fought yeah. the law, but no, no, not five in a row. That's for sure. Yeah. So, and, and, and interestingly enough, leading into our main topic tonight, the epic version of for you here, <laughs> I don't think, was it played again solo piano before the night we're about to discuss, which was December 17, 2000. I don't think so. Uh, I mean, it was played later in the 75 tour. Yes. But it was I. But yeah, it got a, certainly got a reprieve or a, got a retirement, you know, seventy six through not through, you know, November of night of two thousand. <laughs> so yeah, it sat dormant for a long time before he brought it back. So let's move on to our main topic, and tonight we're going to be talking about Christmas shows, specifically the ones played at Convention Hall in Asbury Park between two thousand and two thousand and three, and. I know for many of the people listening, we've been talking about this with some of our friends recently. These were very, very special shows that people had very fond remembrances of, and we're looking forward to talking about them. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, I think about, I mean, it's first off, it's amazing that it's nearly 20 years ago since well, he first it, did it, that, it's, it's, those it's first 20, two shows. Yeah, it's 20 years. It's, it's, it's yeah, crazy. That, that's amazing, too. And, and just the fact of, of course, you know, after 2020, being able to 
think back to seeing Bruce in the band and in Asbury Park in Convention Hall, just seems you know you look at you look at it big with look at it with such longing here, but even and even at the time it was it was it was damn special. Oh, not only just was come, it special, it was completely unexpected. That's true. I remember hearing rumors in '97 though, because I remember in '96 he played the three nights as part of the Joe tour at the Paramount in Asbury. And then I remember hearing in '97 that they were they were going to do some do some shows. And obviously that year he wasn't even on tour, so that would have been a major surprise. So even in 2000, it was I kind of when I first heard about it, first heard the rumors, I was like, eh, you know, we've we've done this before, but you know, thank God it happened. Well, they had never done anything like this though, and and I remember very vividly. It's actually kind of funny because I was in New York when I heard about these shows. Your wife, Claudine, and I had just attended U2 at Irving Plaza on December the 5th, which was another epic night and pretty incredible that it happened that I saw those things in the same month. And the next morning when I was talking about the show, someone said to me, and did you hear Bruce is going to be playing Christmas shows in Asbury Park? And I was like, what are you talking about? And the the thing was, we had just finished the reunion tour, of course. Yeah. One would have thought that he was taking a break. And then sure enough, uh, I went back to L.A. And a few days later, it was official that this was going to happen. <laughs> and and then I had to figure out, was I going to come back to New York? And I, I finally oh, like decided. There was a question of whether you I, were going to come I was back. Like, I was like, <laughs> I got to do this. So came back to New York. Now, let's. were you at both of these shows in 2000? I sure was. Now, to set the stage, when we walked into that venue on two th- uh, December 17, 2000, nobody really had any idea of what to expect. Uh, you know, it was just billed as Bruce with the Max Weinberg 7. And that night, which gets us back to the For You, they came out, they, the, the Jingle Bells introduced, and then suddenly I was sort of like, where is he? Because I was looking center stage, where is Bruce? And he was at the piano, and suddenly For You started. And it was like holy shit and it was the <laughs> that was the entire night it was just yes. like it was like one song after another you were just like holy shit and 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 the thing i remember most about these shows not that bruce does and it, not that bruce doesn't play completely fun shows but it goes back to some of the things we've talked about before the serious bruce versus the fun bruce this was just completely balls to the walls Let's have fun from the first moment to the last. Well, the first thing, the first thing I want to I want to address there is, I think you you alluded to it there that this was the first time in a while that we had no idea what to expect, um, what to expect in in the show. I think we have to go back to to even the the ninety two rehearsal show, where where we had what is he going to do? Because we really because that was the last time that. Everything was just wide open and anything was a possibility. And so, as, as you said, each song was holy crap. Because first off, because, yeah, you know, hearing Bruce and then the band do Kitty's Back. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty holy crap moment. But then to have, you know, preceded by the East Street Shuffle and then Lucky Town and then the South Side stuff. It's everything just kept going higher and higher. And that was we walked out of that on on cloud nine. It was it was an insane night. It's funny because I was just mentioning this to that we were going to be covering this topic with my buddy Ron, who flew with me from L.A. to see the show. And he was like, that was one of the greatest nights of my life. (laughs) 
I can see that. I can uh, definitely see that. <laughs> the, uh, I'm just glad there was no camera on me when Kitty's back started. Why? What did your because face do? Just, I just drop or something? No, I think I literally fell to the floor. <laughs> I was, <laughs> well, what had happened was, to, we're, we're jumping a little ahead, because obviously For You happened. Then he did Blue Christmas, which was great. And then they did the segment where the Max Weinberg 7 was allowed to play with Jimmy Vivino. And then after that, Bruce came back out and he did a version of Lucky Town. Now, mm -hmm. you and I, of course, this is one of our favorites anyway. It was the best version of Lucky Town that has ever been performed anywhere with the horns. It was to this to this moment. I remember I it just made my hair stand on edge. Yeah, totally agree. The horn riff that they had going in there. I don't want to sing it because I'm not <laughs> I can't sing, period. I'm not going to sing. try to sing a horn, a horn rhythm. Uh, horn riff, but yeah, that was just tremendous. And then the guitar solo to finish off the song oh, was, yeah. was pretty much on top too. And Jimmy Vivino was he was keeping up with Bruce, lick for lick. Let's be honest here. Yeah, no, that he Vivino was phenomenal at all of these Christmas shows. And from there, we went to East Street Shuffle, which had been played at the Garden, but still there were horns. And they and, and they did and they did the the warm up intro that was yes. that's on that was on the album and. Uh, you know, once people you can hear the gasp on the on the audience recording, I think maybe even on the soundboard recording from the next night or from that night, I forget which one it's from. You can hear the audible gasp from the audience when they realize, holy crap, this is E Street Shuffle with the yeah. horns. Well, if they, <laughs> and, and if they thought that was holy crap, 10 minutes later, they were really when Kitty's back started, you could hear. I mean, when you listen to the tape of this and. Uh, there are some, there were soundboards of both nights, right? No, I think only. I forget. Got it. Only uh, just two thousand. Uh, it was only a soundboard of the first night. Okay, so I mean, when you well, that's the one. Yeah. So when you hear Kitty's back start the first night, I, it, people are just in total shock. I mean, total shock. Even after Serenade had been played on the reunion tour and all that, this was really the, this was the last one. Kitty's back. In, in the segment of songs that we just would have never expected to be played and they were being played. <laughs> and then they were played both nights. And yeah, I mean, it was just, it was the identical set list both nights, I guess. I yeah. should throw that in there before we get to the second night. But, but yeah, after, and one thing you didn't mention was that as each one of these old classic songs came up, I mean, Danny Federici came on for East Street yes. Shuffle. Clarence. And then Clarence, Clarence came on stage during Kitty's Back. So you kind of had this building of the E Street Band on stage until finally they were all there right. uh, when they finally hit Merry Christmas, Baby. Yeah, Patty did her two songs. And then Steve and Southside came out for this time. It's for real. And there was such camaraderie at these shows. It, that was what was great. At the time, it, it's so funny. I think I've mentioned this once before. Bruce kept saying, we're rebuilding Asbury Park. It's going to happen. And <laughs> back in December of 2000, I mean, it was basically a wasteland. Uh, you know, yeah. we didn't have places to eat. It was, it was. Oh, come on. That Howard Johnson's next oh, door was amazing. <laughs> Let's not talk about the Howard Johnson's. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, that all right. bathroom. Oh, my God. Anyway. Well, a lifesaver, though. Come well, on. This is setting, this is setting a real picture for people who have never actually been to a convention hall show. Or to bring the, back memories who had, for people yes. who, who did attend such shows. So. Uh, the Southside segment was so great. And then he brought Nils out for Shine Silently. And then the rest of the band continued to come. Roy came out for Merry Christmas, Baby. And I, 
so young and in love was played. It was just like, it was, as we say, every moment was just like, is this really happening? <laughs> and, and the show lived up to that. These performances, they were well rehearsed. The show came together quickly, as Bruce explained at these, at both nights, but they knew the stuff and man, did it rock. And it, it was 20 years later, as I said, Ron said, this is one of the greatest nights of his life. These are special nights that just will never be forgotten. No. And one thing you really got to, you got to mention though, at this first show, especially in light of, of what we were just saying about Asbury Park is that he, that was the night he debuted my city of Ruth. Yeah, yeah. We were getting to that. And what a, <laughs> and what a special song that was on first listen. What a dramatic moment. It was when he sat at the down at the piano there and said, I'm going to play a new song. And he played yes. My City of Ruins. It was, you know, it's the I, sort I of moment out. that only he can really pull off. I mean, there are very, very few performers who can do that. And that's why he is who he is. And it, it was tremendously stunning. Oh, it was absolutely gorgeous. The way it built up from just Bruce at the piano to include all the horns. And it, and it encapsulated Asbury Park and how it's going to rise up again. And and he closed that with I Don't Want to Go Home, of course. And then Rosalita, which at that point was a real rarity and, and a real treat for the fans. And, and needless to say, the final song of the night was Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And there were a lot of people on that stage. <laughs> there were. And was that the with Aunt Edie and his mom on stage throwing the candy canes? And, and, and or was I that think the that, mixture? Yeah. I think, and members of the audience, I don't know. There was a hell of a lot of people on that stage. And and then we all got to come back and do it again this, the next night. Now, as you point out, the, the set list was the same. Uh, the but. show was equally as good, but the sound check. <laughs> yeah, and I was not in the building for that. Claudine did oh, call me, but... I was there, as well. uh, of course, I was with Claudine. Yes, and I'd say I had a seat that night, so that's why I wasn't in there. And I was hanging at the bar across the street, and... Claudine called and said, Flynn, come over. And I said, no. And I regret that to this day. <laughs> well, uh, then I'll set the stage. Max apparently was caught coming from Conan. He was late. And Bruce came out and did the sound check in front of the people who were already in the building. A very special 20 minutes. Uh, do you remember what time it was? I do not. That's a little okay. too exact even for me. Oh, come on. About six <laughs> o'clock, they started coming on stage. I think 6.13 p.m. No, I, okay, I have no sense. clue. Now, was Bruce the first person to come on stage? And Yeah. How did we, you... Well, we were in the building, and, and Bruce was on stage talking to people, and it just seemed sort of weird because why was he out there? People were in the in the building already. Of course, people were calling out to him. He was waving. And we didn't know at that point that Max was delayed. And he said something to the audience. I think he said, like, Max is on the it, caught on the fast ferry or something. And, uh, okay, yeah. and, and then he started playing and they and, and people started walking out on stage. Patty was on stage. Lisa was on stage. Susie. And then Southside came out. And I, and I think, according to Bruce Bass, Gary and Nils were on stage and they played this sort of. Uh, uh, sort of Zydeco set, I guess you would call, right? <laughs> like kind of, yeah, kind of a down home bluegrassy yeah. set, blue. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Asbury Opry. I think I think he would would have yeah. called that had it had it, it been '96. Yeah, it was, it, and it was really something because I I've obviously seen a lot of shows. I've never seen him do anything like that, and it was just completely off the cuff. They did three songs. The last was Mystery Train. 
And I have, there is a tape of that, right? Yeah, Crystal Cat uh, yeah. was able to get a recording of that, uh, of that, I, uh, of that, of those songs for their for their release. I haven't listened to that in a while, but the Mystery Train I remember really standing out. It was, it was, it was really a moment. And then he sort of waved to the crowd, and 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 they got they left the stage and they they got ready for the show. But that really made it a unique thing that that they came out and did that. And, and of course, he, he even though he has come out and played sound checks in front of audiences again, he's certainly never done anything like that. Yeah, so no, nothing certainly that spontaneous, or at least it, it seems spontaneous. I mean, he's come out and he's done the pre-shows, pre-show sets, and where it's like he comes out and he plays, you know, anywhere from two to five songs acoustic, and says, "Hey, we'll see you in a little while." But this this one seemed more organic than that. Yes, it did, and uh, it was it was a treat. There's no question about it, and just sort of put a unique cap on on the whole special event. And at that point, when we walked out that night, we didn't know if they were ever going to do that again. We just hoped that they would. The, the, of course, by the following year, unfortunately, on September 11th, as we know, we the terrible events that happened. And we didn't know if if he was going to do something, and it turned out that he decided to do it again the following year, and to make it much bigger. Yeah, I remember hearing at the Basie shows in October of two thousand one that yeah he was going to do more shows in Asbury, like a whole week's worth, and so I was pretty blown away by blown away by that news, especially considering I've been so skeptical the year before. But now I'm like, yeah, this is really going to happen, and he's going to play a whole week, and it's going to be fucking awesome <laughs> yeah no the, the the fact this actually was a lot different because the five shows that he did really had individual feels that of course the first year they were identical except for the sound check these shows really each night felt different to me the first one of course opened with a uh, a sequence that he has never repeated because he was paying tribute to the great Beatle George Harrison, and then he opened with something in My Sweet Lord because Harrison had just passed away. Mm-hmm. And and that was really, you know, again, it was just really special. Yeah, it was. And because he did it, he started something off just acoustic and everybody else kind of joined in behind him. And it made for a very special moment because there's a big overlap between between big Bruce fans and big Beatles fans. And, and, and of course, you know, George Harrison was... I mean, he that little quartet from Liverpool. They they were so responsible for a lot of the music that that Bruce listened to as a kid, and that Bruce played in those early days and in in the Castiles and and afterwards. Totally. I mean, if there's no Beatles, uh, who knows if Bruce is even there? You know, that's. <laughs> I think all, he would say that. And, he, did, and, he did. He did say that actually in two thousand in nineteen eighty, the night after John Lennon was shot. So. Oh yes, that's and that's also forty years ago. Just, oh God. But yeah. let's let's not get down about that. Uh, <laughs> but so know, then after the horrible. But but then after the George Harrison tribute, he came back with uh, Jingle Bell Rock and well, he got back into the groove with uh, the Max Weinberg Seven. And that was an interesting thing that he did that year because the show was drastically different than the year before. You'd think we're doing shows in a small venue. I don't need to mix it up. These shows were substantially different. After the Max Weinberg segment or the Weinberg Seven segment, I should say, you know, again, a jaw dropper. <laughs> I mean, nobody, I don't care what had been played off of Wild and the Innocent, off of Greetings on the reunion tour. <laughs> there is no person on the planet who could have ever thought to themselves 
that they were going to be standing in Asbury Park and watching Bruce play Thundercrack, but that is what happened. <laughs> yeah, and they did the the fiddle intro with Susie leading the way, and it was it was phenomenal. As you as you said before about the two thousand shows, they were well rehearsed. There was no they weren't doing anything on the fly here. They they knew it and they delivered, and it lived up to our expectations. If we had ever said to ourselves, gee, wouldn't it be great if Bruce played Thundercrack? And it was great when he did play Thundercrack. Yes, and he followed it with Seaside Bar Song. It's almost it's almost laughable to think about now that we were standing there and those things took place. And, and Patty did, she was really good in 2000, but in 2001, Patty did her two songs, her love stand up, which at that point was unreleased. And the the version of Spanish dancer she did. And we talked about this a little bit when she was on with Bruce on his radio show. Oh my God, was that gorgeous? Yeah. I think we got to give her credit too, for the previous year she played, was it Rose? And as long as I can be with you. Yeah. Am I misremembering? Okay. That's right. Yeah. So in, in the two years she delivered four different songs entirely. And, that's some that was something could and you're right spanish dancer was beautiful and of course the guy she wrote it about you know was standing right next to her <laughs> yeah now and then she was followed by garland jeffries coming out bruce brought out some different people at these shows uh he played his song welcome to the world and new york skyline which was an appropriate tribute to 9-11 now garland jeffries is going to figure in something that happens during the fourth show we'll get to in a little while uh, after Garland, you mean the third show? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, the third show. You are correct. I, <laughs> I stand corrected on that. The third show. They right. run together at times. Then <laughs> Southside came out. Now Steve did not appear at these shows. No, he did not. I believe his uh, his, his dog, dog his yeah. dog Jake had just had just passed away, and and you know the way they dote on on their dogs, Marine and Steve. I can see why they would be. Um, Bruce, why Steve would not be in the mood for playing. I definitely see that. They did do a beautiful version of Love on the Wrong Side of Town. with uh, He did with Southside. And then Nils came out and and he did his Black Books and Shine Silently again. Then the then the, the members of the E Street Band, Clarence was there. And as we say, Steve was not there. Was, was Steve the only member of the band not there? I forget. Uh, Roy wasn't there. Roy was not there. Correct. Okay. So, but there, it was Bruce and the band minus Steve and Roy, and, and they came out and did a similar run of songs that they had done in 2000, Merry Christmas, Baby, So Young and In Love. They did Kitty's Back Again, My City of Ruins. So that was night one in 2001. And then we, now, did you see that show the first night in 2001? I did. The one I didn't see was the second night. Okay. Wild, the Wild Billies opener. And the second night was pretty similar to the first night. He opened with Wild Billies, as Flynn just said. That was also a really nice treat. Uh, I was at the show. This It was a solid show. It, the first night was was really the standout of the first two nights. Is there anything else you want to say about the second night? Well, didn't Gary actually play uh, tuba on Wild oh, Billies? Oh, yes, yes. He did play tuba on Wild Billies, yes. See, oh, and talk, and talk to Me was played. That was really good. That replaced Love on the Wrong Side of Town. Yeah, they did a good job of shuffling shuffling up the, the Southside material um, for each night. And, you know, that's that's still a, a great treat to see to see today. Talk to Me or, I guess, Until the Good is Gone is a Stephen song, but, you know. It falls into that same kind of category. So there was a pair of shows on the third and fourth, and then they took a night off and they came back for three more shows starting on the sixth. 
the show on the sixth, and you were there that night, right? Yes, I, I did see the sixth, seventh. There, there are not many nights where I have seen in my life that where Bruce has performed where I said that show went off the rails. <laughs> and uh, a December sixth is a show that went badly off the rails. Bruce, I think, knew it went off the rails because the crowd got very, very restless. He responded to the crowd's restlessness. And there was some rudeness in the crowd. There's no denying it, but I'm reluctant to use the word mistake, but it was a mistake. The, the thing that where the show got off on the wrong foot, the show opened, he brought out the South community choir of Asbury park. Very nice to give them a pop, but the first to open, (laughs) right. They opened the show and people got Bruce was on stage, but basically not doing anything. I mean, he was just strumming a guitar slightly and the crowd got restless. It wasn't the way to open the show. Or if they were going to play, he should have done it sort of as like a pre-show thing. Uh, or but, just done it as a second song. Yeah. But it really, people were thrown for a loop. Because the other thing you have to remember is the first two shows open with the George Harrison covers and then Wild Billy Circus Story. So everyone's in the venue going, what mind-blowing thing is he going to open with tonight? And there's a church choir on stage that, I don't want to be flipping about it. Anyone can go see on any Sunday morning. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, I mean, and, not- and, and it just was not all that compelling. And the crowd did not respond all that well. So that sets the stage for what happens as the show goes on. But go ahead, Flynn. Well, I was going to say was not only were the previous two nights had, had he opened with some, something special, so to speak, was that the previous year he opened with with the piano version of for you. Mm-hmm. So really all four nights, all four holiday shows open with something really basically mind blowing to, to some degree. And so, yeah, people expected it again, as you said. And when the choir came out and then the first Bruce original wasn't until like, I don't know what the fifth or sixth song in. Yeah. He's, he's already lost a good chunk of the crowd or at least, at least momentum there. Yeah, he lost momentum. I'm not saying the crowd's response was completely appropriate because there was some behavior we're going to discuss in a minute that definitely I certainly wouldn't have partaken in, uh, you know, for me. And I was in the audience. I was, uh, you know, I, it did make me cringe. And I think it made you cringe. Mm-hmm. But they, they went through the same set that he'd basically been playing the first two nights after the choir. And then Garland Jeffries came out and went into Welcome to the World and New York Skyline. And uh, I mean, how can we put this? People uh, booed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Let's oh, be, yeah. People they were booed. booing. They were, yeah. and, and when Bruce Bruce came out after after he, Garland's two songs, he was very very upset. He was, and he did say, "If I, I don't want to hear people yelling my name during other people's songs," and so that kind of gave, you know. Well, that's the thing. Bruce were they a, booing or were they brucing? <laughs> And, you know, I at that point a Bruce meant a boo during during that show. It was no it one. Was, yeah, it was poor we, behavior. There's no defending the behavior. He had lost the crowd, and uh, you know, again, it, it this is one of those things. It, it was just unfortunate that it happened. Right. Well, it will. I mean, not to blame Bruce, but the the show was never on the rails. I don't think it ever went off the rails because I don't think it was ever on. And I remember walking out of that show going, "Yeah, that was." Uh, that was a swing and a miss. It, yeah, it, it and it and I felt bad for Garland. Uh, it just it was it was a very odd night because, as I said, I mean, I and I've seen Bruce a lot. I, I there have been nights where I've gone, oh, he's a little off, or 
but I've never seen him lose an audience like that. Maybe just that one show at Giant Stadium, the, the My Hometown show in 2003, but those would be the only two cases. I can't think of any really right off the right off the top of my head. I mean, maybe one of the the Meadowland show from 2005, where the where the speakers went out and there was a miscommunication, right. to say the least. But this but, this was this was an off night. There's just no sugarcoating it. Now the thing is, when Bruce has an off night, uh, he knows it, and <laughs> true. he came back on the next night, and this cannot be a coincidence. He delivered one of the greatest performances of the reunion era. Now, the the, the first year, the, the two shows were truly amazing and just such a treat to be at. But the show on December 7, 2001 was one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life from beginning to end. Is that show out there? In, oh, in, yeah. In, in that level of quality, yeah, it is, yes, right? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah, it is. and, and they should. Of that one. And speaking of, uh, not not only is there a soundboard, they should they should release this show. Now we don't know. We hope that there's going to be a Christmas release. It would be appropriate, it seems, one of these years to release one of the convention hall shows. <laughs> you would think, but they, this is the one they should release yeah. because this was one of the great nights that we have seen. Yeah, he started off on on the right note this time. He had a little intro for deck the halls by the horns, and then. Incident in the 57th Street, solo piano, or more, mostly solo piano. I got Patty and Susie there. And that was a, a probably more mind-blowing than what we saw in two, the year before with Fourth For You. It was, it, was, it was really a moment, and he knew it. And, and it's just so funny because, and again, this is we say this a lot, uh, this is why he is who he is. Uh, he had known, he clearly had, and he was upset about it, that the the prior night had, had gone wrong. And this night, I think, uh, and he said it throughout the night. I mean, he made numerous comments about what a great night he was having, what a great show it was, how great the audience was. This was an epic night, and the incident really kicked it off. Okay, the end. When you say incident, you meant the incident on Fifty Seventh Street, not the incident of yelling <laughs> at the audience. Well, in a way, that did sort of it, set it, the tone for December Seventh. But yes, I'm talking about the song "Incident on Fifty Seventh Street." Yeah, it was a beautiful version. It was the first one since what seventy five. Yeah, and it was just it was just amazing. But to talk about the incident, you know, Bruce did come back and make some comments about you know, please you know, be respectful to my to my guest and. Good. If not, I'm going to give you back your money and you can go home and watch short attention span theater. <laughs> and he, you know, he said it jokingly, but he meant it. Yeah, he look, it, it it definitely hit what happened the night before. There's no question about it. And this show, while Garland Jeffries was not at this show, instead, they went through the set. There were wonderful versions. Again, Patty did a great version of Spanish Dancer. And then. They, he brought out Bruce Hornsby in the spot where Garland had played the night before. Now, and I think for the audience, Bruce Hornsby is a is a bigger name. Uh, and I know I personally enjoy Bruce. I, I've been a Bruce Hornsby fan since the 80s. Mm -hmm. So but Bruce Hornsby really delivered. And he came out and he did a beautiful version of. Uh, Jingle Bells and Spider Fingers, and then with Bruce. Well, it was more did, than just it was more than just that, Hal. It was oh, basically a like a five minute medley of all yes. of the all the Christmas classics that that we know and love, and the way he would just weave in and out of each one was just 
was just breathtaking. I mean, they, yeah. I mean, I mean, he is an amazing piano player. To say, he's, I mean, to say the least. He's a great performer, and I actually just saw him. I think it was a year ago now at the Troubadour here in L.A. He, he really he he knows how to work a crowd himself. And after that was over with Bruce, they did the end of the Innocence, which of course Hornsby wrote, and that that was beautiful. And that was not a song I would have ever expected Bruce to be playing on. But having said that, the next song. Well, hold on here, hold what? on here. That, to me, that was the end of the end of the Innocence is is very Bruce-esque about, you know, losing that kind of innocence and trying That's to find true. it back and not really trying to find it back, but dealing with the, with their, with the effects of it. Well, and especially, it after nine, after, especially after 9-11, you are correct. I meant just because it was a Don Henley song, although I guess Bruce and Don do have a bit of a relationship. He did guest on what, what when did Henley guest? 2002. Okay. Yeah. So that was after this. But, but Bruce Hornsby co-wrote, co-wrote the yes. song yes. into the innocence with Don Henley and, and they, and Springsteen was definitely a great uh, substitute for Don Henley. Okay, so you're right. He, and especially in the context of 9-11, it really wasn't all that surprising. I was trying to set up our next point, which was the most surprising cover in the history of Springsteen, I think. <laughs> and one of the most fun. Uh, it's That was a huge highlight. You Sexy Thing, originally done by, by Hot Chocolate. And it, they nailed it. Uh, oh. they, they had so much fun with it, with the accordion, and really playing that, playing that up. And... Bruce, when horns be going, blow, Clarence, blow. And, you know, it was just so much fun. Yeah, uh, the, the, there was outright delirium in that audience when You Sexy Thing started. Mm -hmm. I, I listened to it this afternoon, and, and <laughs> it was introduced as one of the great accordion songs, a song <laughs> that made the accordion famous. And, uh, I mean, I just, I close my eyes, and I and I sort of, can feel myself back there. The reaction, even with everything incident and the fact that we had seen Kitty's back and those are Springsteen songs. When the, when the you sexy thing started and it registered on the audience, what was being played? It really delirium is the right word. It, it was, it was sort of just, uh, it was craziness. Well, I have to admit here, I Someone came to me while we were in line and said, oh, my God, they're sound checking you sexy thing. Oh, this is why I don't get the sound check info, but go on. All right. And it was someone said, oh, yeah, it's it's Bruce and Southside. I'm like, what? What the hell are they doing? That's uh And I was kind of down on things after the previous night. So um, I, I didn't have a lot of uh, confidence with with that particular song. But it is definitely it later became or it is the highlight of those five shows for me. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's no question about it. And again, I, perfect release for the archive series. And, <laughs> and and this was such a special night because Southside came out and they tore through his songs. And then Nils came out and did the beautiful version of If I Should Fall Behind that he was doing at the time. And I remember being in that audience. Nils did before If I Should Fall Behind. He did the Star Spangled Banner. Mm -hmm. Now, it was Pearl Harbor Day. It was right after 9-11. I think Ground Zero was still smoldering at that point. Mm -hmm. And when he played the national anthem, it was so beautiful. And the crowd got so into it. it didn't, If I remember correctly, didn't Chance of USA break out? I don't remember that. Okay. But it's hard to imagine 
at this point in uh, in our country's history, as divided as we are, that a that a performance of the national anthem could be could be healing. Yeah, it it was magical, and Nils did an amazing job on it as, as he does all his stuff. And it was beautiful. And moment. it was very special. I mean, you would see it on a if you saw it just on paper or oh, Star Spangled Banners. You know, unless you put it in the context of 9-11, it, you're right, it's kind of cynical. But no, they uh, it was absolutely beautiful. And and Bobby was doing in these shows, Bobby Bandiera, who was a key member of the backing band, did a solo acoustic version of Here Comes the Sun, which was equally beautiful. Uh, these were just, uh, the Christmas shows were very special. There's no question about it. But this night in particular, again, if they have it, and we know they do, Mm-hmm. It should be released as an archive for sure. Yeah. This this is one of the great nights, and it and it showcases so many of Bruce's friends. Yeah, I I wonder if they just don't want to deal with getting the releases from all these other artists. But I can't imagine Bruce Hornsby or 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 Southside putting up any kind of argument for for Bruce to release the show. So they should just give it a shot and go for it. Yeah, what a what an amazing amazing night! Just incredible to think about. Uh, we, when we were talking about it with people over the last couple of days, when we said we were going to do this show, and and people were talking about the December seventh show, every person who was there, they just say it brings such a smile to their face to to think back to that night. And just in looking at the at the set list again, the, as you said, Bobby Bandiera's "Here Comes the Sun." As as we said before, that was before the sun had risen on Asbury Park, and it's it's very touching to hear now. Yeah, and uh, there was one more night. It was going to be very very hard to live up to the seventh, the the final night on the eighth. It actually was a very similar show, except for the fact that Garland was back and he did his songs in addition to Bruce Hornsby, and there was a special guest for one song, and that was Elvis Costello. Right, Elvis came on for. Uh... For Allison, for an acoustic version yeah. of Allison with Bruce, yeah. Bruce on backing vocals, but yeah. he, you know he took a bit of a risk here, I, th- I think, when because he opened with he opened with that choir again. Yeah, and, and, he, and he did not got a feeling. Yeah, and it was it's like he was almost like he was combining the previous two nights into Correct. one. Correct. Yeah, and it was a little little nervous there with the, with the choir, but then he but then they settled back in and and did deck the halls and and boom, there was incident again and all its magnificent glory. Now, I, now, the thing I remember most about this show, which a very solid show, not the prior night, of course, but the show was too damn long. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not often you, you not often you hear that complaint about a Bruce about yeah, a Bruce show, was, but I mean, with all the guests together, it was just it really went on for a long, long time. But it was a very, very good show and a great capper to to an amazing week. Uh, it was, it, and it was Saturday night, so. Uh, people didn't have it didn't have anywhere to go or at least well except for the churchgoers but it was it was fun to go uh to walk out in the middle of the night or nearly the middle of the night after that one and uh that wrapped up five amazing shows the next year of course they would be in the middle of the rising tour in december so there were no shows in convention hall he did find a way to bring a little holiday joy to the nation by playing late night with Conan O'Brien, where he did Kitty's back and Merry Christmas, baby. <laughs> I mentioned this in passing. We'll probably post it to our Twitter account. 
Flynn and I do make appearances during those performances, especially during Merry Christmas, Baby, when Bruce came out into the crowd. That was a, a pretty rollicking event that we were lucky enough to be at. If I remember, I think someone had told me they were going to be on and and I had us all write in for tickets or call in for tickets uh, about a month before or something. And we all got tickets from from NBC and the entire audience. When Bruce looked up, it, there was a moment during that Conan performance. Bruce looks up and realizes who's in the audience. It's pretty funny. Yeah, that was a, a pretty interesting moment to see to see the look on his face, the, the look of recognition. And you can almost say that... We, Bruce took the Bruce took the Asbury Park holiday shows to NBC and the nation, as you said. I mean, that yes. was the holiday show for 2002. Yes, it was. And the rising tour, of course, would continue through 2003, culminating at Shea Stadium. We're going to have to talk about those shows at some <laughs> point. And then again, Bruce taking only a short break and, and announcing that in 2003, there would be three shows for the holiday shows at Convention Hall. And they were scheduled for December 5th, December 6th, and December 7th. As we were driving down that first night, the weather was really not good. And and by that point, I had spent enough time in Southern California that I did not enjoy driving in that. And certainly your wife was not going to drive. So, <laughs> Yeah, I guess uh, you're Mr. Southern California. So that was you were not used to that at all. We got into the venue. A lot of people didn't make it to the venue. That right. That's the thing. The show was maybe, what was it, half full? I don't remember that. I remember we got there to the venue particularly late, especially for a GA situation, but... Yeah. Uh, but we didn't, and we didn't have any problems being, you know, no, too we, far we, from where we, where we like want to be. Five feet from the stage, yeah. Right. It was it was when we got down to Asbury and Park by then, I remember looking out at the ocean and how much snow was falling. It, it The conditions were rough. Yes. And, and I'm not going to say they weren't bad. It just wasn't epic. The, the interesting thing that occurred that night was Bruce was very laid back. Like we were debating. I think basically what happened was they said, OK, people are in the venue, so let's just play the show. But at those shows, Bruce would dress a certain way. I remember very vividly that night he came out in jeans. He was very, very loose that night. And do you want to take it from there? Um, I don't remember, remember having that feeling. I just remember my impression of these shows is that they – they weren't as good as 2001 or 2000. That's my, that's the biggest thing that I, that I took that, away from them. That's a fair statement, but they were damn good still. You're comparing them. I mean, the, the best shows from 2001, as we said, and both shows in 2000 were, were truly among the best shows of the last 20 years. There were moments of these shows that were very, very special. Uh, yes. I'm, of course, referring mostly to the Sam Moore set. Okay. And I, I, Focus on the wish. Yeah, so, the wish. There was a lot of special stuff, especially the first <laughs> night, because he played from small. He came out again with a choir. I believe it was a different choir, the Victorious Gospel Choir, and 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 then he did not play his first song until the fourth song, which was from Small Things. The only time it's been played at at a Christmas show, and and that's one of the reasons why I felt like that show was looser. After from small things, now you have to admit there was a tremendously shocking moment. Well, I, I know that I know you're going to say Essential had just been released, well, but yeah. still, it, <laughs> I know. But who, did you really think that None But the Brave was going to be played? Mm, 
I mean, I, it wasn't in the same way from small things. It may be a little bit less. I mean, a little bit more, but I was actually, I really loved that performance of from, of from small things with, yeah. with the horns. It was, that, yeah. Fabulous. That's that one of the was, reasons why I really liked that first night. It was, it was, it yeah. was, it was a fun night. It was, it and, was. And and he didn't do from small things that either of the next two nights, no. next two shows. So that was kind of a bit of a disappointment. He also did Mary's place that night, sort of a six minute compact version, much different than he had done on the rising tour and it cooked, but yes. that also was dropped from the following two shows. Oh yeah. Mary's place and the compact version actually from the album was always Always welcome in my book. Yeah, and 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 Steve was back this year. Uh, he did a really nice version of "Merry Christmas." I don't want to fight tonight. The, I, I I take a little issue. I understand if you're comparing it to 2000 and 2001. You know, as I said, you're comparing to like the most elite set of circumstances. But these were really good shows. Yes, they were. But I'll tell you what they don't have. They don't have their unique personality like the first two years did. That's true. I, 2000 I had a very distinct feel and personality as you listen to the recordings. 2001 had the same kind of thing. This one seemed to be a regular Bruce show. If that makes, it didn't seem that special to me. I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone, but it, I didn't walk out on cloud nine like I had the previous two two times. See, I thought the Sam Moore and and. Again, I don't know how you feel about the Sam and Dave stuff. That is something that I gravitate to. I really, when when Hold On, I'm Coming started, that blew me away. And and I thought the entire set with Sam Moore was was really wonderful. And it was great to see Sam like that. So I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really enjoyed these shows. Again, not I, I, taking it out of the context of comparing it to the other shows, I just enjoyed these shows for what they were. Oh well, I they they were very they were fun shows. I'm just saying that they don't have a distinct feel to them like the other two years did, and so I, it kind of gets lost with me. Okay, There's, well, you were there, there. Okay, so we came out after the first night ended. The by then the conditions had really gotten bad, and we knew there was nowhere they were going to be able to play the second night. And in fact, the second show was was canceled. Well, it's postponed moved to Monday. The, yeah, moved right. to Monday. The, moved the, to Monday night. The uh, the what was supposed to be the third show, the now second show, was on December seventh, two years to the day of that amazing show we just discussed. Now this was a very similar show to the first night, with the except he added in "So Young and in Love." He added in "Kitty's Back." So what he did there was he took the two songs from the first night that actually hadn't been played at the Christmas shows from "Small Things" and "Mary's Place," both of which worked extremely well, and I think you and I found very welcome. And he uh -huh. took them out and and went back to "So Young and in Love" and "Kitty's Back." Very welcome to hear those songs. "Kitty's Back" is freaking awesome. I know you don't <laughs> share that opinion as much as I do. I do not. No. Uh, but the, also there was a guest appearance on the second night that was notable. And that was Mr. Bon Jovi showed up to do it's my life. D do you want to give your <laughs> feedback on that? No, that it was fun. I, I enjoyed that. It was different. Uh, it just wasn't, you know, it was, but it was, it was John Bon Jovi. It, it is what it is, as they say. And uh, 
You know, I mean, not, it, it was I like there. When he plays with Southside, and Bon Jovi did a nice job during the Southside set. He did come out for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just to be bluntly honest, I do not need to see it's my life. And yeah. uh, you know, it was it, it it was a one song and it passed, and and he was pretty much done for the evening. So uh, you know, it's and 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 look, I get it. He's paying, and I appreciate that John really looks up to Southside and to Bruce. Unfortunately, and even though Bon Jovi is is tremendously huge, nobody's taking away anything from his success. It's not my cup of tea. And to me, he's not obviously not on the level of an artist like Bruce is. And even someone like Southside, you know, he John John does not really do it for me. So but enough about him. That's all right. That's all right. But I think it was at the the second show here where we got the the great version of Because the Night from Nils Lofgren. The, that the, was, yes, yes. Actually, he did, he did it all three nights. Yeah, he did so. it all three nights. Beautiful version of Because Tonight. He did that monster guitar solo. <laughs> and I think that, that that has set up the later Because Tonight guitar solos that he's done when they play the song with the band now. Right, on the, especially on the River Tour, the yes. 16 River Tour. And then another, what was very cool was their performance of What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding. That was good. And that was played all three nights. We should also give a pop to, he did have, again, some friends there, Jesse Mallon, who mm-hmm. I know you and Claudine like very much. We do, and, yes. And, I was, and Garland that, Jeffries was back. Well, that was the first time we had ever seen Jesse. And I, and he, my wife actually became a pretty big fan of his. And I'm not as big a fan, but I certainly love love the two songs he did that night and, and love his his early albums. The third night, Garland Jeffries did 96 Tears. That was very welcome. That that was really, really good. I think he actually had a minor hit with that back in the early he 80s. He did, yeah. Okay. So I'm, I wish I had seen that one. I uh, That would have been very, very fun to see. It was fun to see. And, and I think Bruce's crowds, they know that one because it was a minor hit. So it gets them a little bit more jazz than some of the other songs Garland was doing at those shows. And and overall, this was uh, this was a fun show. The third show, I remember it pretty vividly to this day. It's the final Christmas show that he's done, at least in convention hall for the last 17 years. Right. They had a three out of four years. They played these wonderful, intimate shows, you know, for Bruce's hometown, for the for the hometown crowd and for the and for the. And for the bigger Bruce fans who flew in from literally around the world. Yeah, a, a global audience at these shows. Yeah. And they and then in 2004, they did, Bruce, not just they, but it was just Bruce this time. Bruce, did, he, he uh, fronted. With, with Bobby and his band, yeah. Right, I was going to say, fronted fronted Bobby Bandier's band for a couple, a couple of shows at, at Terry's Roadhouse. but Harry's Roadhouse. Oh, uh, Harry's Roadhouse. <laughs> Terry, huh? Not Terry. Harry's Roadhouse. Your wife yeah. and I were there together. And, uh, you know, we're not going to really talk too much about those shows, uh, I, I think, right now. Th- that was just sort of your standard bar show with some Christmas stuff. It did not. And it was not meant to be on the level of what the convention hall shows were. That was it was fun to be at, of course. And it's it's always great to see Bruce in a bar, which you and I have both been lucky to do on a number of times. But the the convention hall shows stand as their own thing, and that's why we're yes, we're do. talking about them tonight. Yes, they do. It's some wonderful moments, like we said, "You Sexy Thing," the return of "Incident on Solo Piano," um, the Lucky Town with the horns, 
the return of Thundercrack, Seaside Bar song, all these songs that in in, in the years since have, be, have become pretty much regulars or at least semi-regulars in, at, an, at E Street band shows. So they kind of got their, their rebirth. We were there for the rebirth. And, yes. And certainly when you talk about rebirth, you got to talk about Asbury Park. And as, as we were saying in 2000, I mean, there was nothing there. Oh, uh, it's and, an amazing, it really is an amazing story because you know how skeptical I was all the times we went mm-hmm. down there and, and well, you couldn't even get anything to eat. It was like, yeah. it, it was literally being more like you were marooned and, and suddenly, and, and I hadn't been there in a while because what, after the uh, magic rehearsals and the working on a dream rehearsals, Bruce hasn't done a lot in, in recent years in Asbury and I haven't been as regular attendee at light of day as you have. And, and there was a period where I wasn't down there and suddenly I went back and the boardwalk was alive and, and Danny Clinch's amazing gallery was there and, (laughs) and and the rest and the, and the hotels and the restaurants. It's, it's a, it's a fabulous thing that has happened. And, and yeah, Bruce is a large part of it. You know, I, I, I've been debating about how large of a role Bruce has played considering that, you know, there were, I guess, from, from 99 to 2004, there were just there were at least two or three days each year where, where, where Bruce fans descended upon the town for what rehearsal shows or holiday shows. Yeah. But at the same time, at those shows, I'm, I was listening to the, to the December 7th one, 2001, earlier today, and listening to him list all the businesses that were in downtown Asbury who were you know, just he were struggling to make it and he was trying to get people to go in and, and spend their money so that the, the talent can flourish. And it's I mean, and to think about how much, as I said, how much they've come back. And I mean, it's a, so we took, it looked like Beirut back in, back in the eighties. And now yeah, it's, it, now it it's was a flourishing not, it was beach. Not town. pretty, not pretty. And yeah. he was so funny during, when he would run down the businesses and and he would throw in his little commentary and take <laughs> shots at Southside in particular. And well, my, uh, my favorite line was about the pawn shop. Yeah, you know, comparing comparing it to Viagra. You hope you you hope you don't need it, but <laughs> yeah, should I, when it's, should I go it's crazy there. and blow all my money? <laughs> at least I know that it's there. <laughs> <laughs> No, just yeah. that really wonderful nights. I mean, these are different than the E Street Band shows that take place in arenas around the world because they're just, a, as you were saying, a, a, a real different feel to them, especially the first two years. And just so, so wonderful to have been a part of. And it's so every year people are like, is he going to do it again? And yeah, sometimes yeah. you're like, look, I, and I don't know if he's going to do it again, but I, I think after 17 years, we can come to the conclusion. It's probably not a safe bet. Now, the the one thing I was thinking as we were prepping for the show, hopefully there will be a post COVID time, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, maybe next year he will do it in celebration that COVID is over, especially since we don't expect organized tour dates are probably to begin until 2022 based on what he has said. So, you know, we can hold out hope, uh, but just wonderful, wonderful memories. And and we wanted to talk about it. It's the time of the year. And uh, it it really does make me smile to think of all of us, the number of people we knew in those venues, as you say, from around the world, just remarkable. Um, One thing we haven't mentioned though, is that the the proceeds for all these shows actually went to local charities. Yes, the Boys and Girls Club, uh, 
I think there was an AIDS health center uh, assistant that provided assistance to people infected and affected by HIV AIDS. And it was just all those kinds of charities that even further cemented the, the local feel to it. The, he, the Asbury Park High School Band, which needed some <laughs> funds. He, 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 did, he did really great work here. And the shows were great for the fans. And they were meaningful for the community. And I'm just glad that they happened and we were there. So and we, uh, have the, we do have some wonderful unofficial recordings of them. But uh, an official recording release would be tremendous. One of these shows, uh, well, it should be 12701 or one of the 2000 shows, in my opinion, May, or maybe both as a pair. That would what would be cool would a bit would be and and I don't we have no reason to believe that's going to happen in next mm -hmm. week, but it would be cool if they released one show from each year uh, simultaneously. That would be a nice treat as well because you'd also get the Sam Moore set in there. But let's see what happens and 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 again, just wonderful memories and and I, I'm glad we got a chance to discuss it. Yes, just pure pure holiday magic. Uh, that's especially now in, in the year of COVID yes. to think about better times. And our next episode is also going to look at some Bruce holiday magic. <laughs> it's the 40th anniversary of the famed Nassau Coliseum New Year's Eve stand. Of course, two of those shows are official archives. We're working on bringing on some guests who were in the audience for those shows, and we're going to have a good time talking about it. Yes. I want to, I want to hear how, if they knew that this December 31st, 1980 was, was as epic that night as, as all of us view it in that way since. Yeah, that will be interesting. Especially you and I, while well, we were too young to be at those shows, <laughs> well, we'll talk more about that when we get there to the episode, but I was about 10 minutes away, but 10 minutes, what seems now like, you know, 10,000 miles. <laughs> well, the funny thing about being what, were you what, 10, 12? 12 yeah i yeah. just turned 12 so yeah. and I, yes my i was not going out on new year's eve to rock concerts when i was 12 so <laughs> no. anyway we'll we'll get to that next time and let's should we wrap this up might as well none but the brave is a presentation of bull market entertainment please subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice we're on all the major ones apple music amazon etc you can find us on twitter at nbtb podcast and our website is nonebutthebravepodcast.com. So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean saying thanks again for listening, and we'll see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.